Thank you, Johnny and Jen, for leading us in, in worship. And uh, yeah, thanks for, to everyone who served last week as well while we were away. And it's been uh, good to go away. It was a good trip away, but uh, it's great to be back with you. Um, I'm excited for kind of what, I, what I've started to think of as, as maybe phase two of our church plant. We've, uh, we've had, as you guys know, various people leave for, for reasons kind of all surrounding baptism, I would say, for, for various reasons surrounding baptism, but we've got a, a great core of new members and a number of you have decided to stay at our church while you kind of work through your own understanding about baptism. And, uh, it's been a, a tough season, I would say, for Jody and I, the last, uh, I don't know if it's six months or whatever, it's probably been the, one of the most difficult seasons, I think it, it would be the, the most difficult season of ministry that, that I've ever faced. But I feel like we're largely through it now and the Lord is building His church. We've got a great group of people and we're excited to be back and, and to serve together. You know, I think we all feel at this time the, the loss of some friends, uh, some, for some even some family that, that are no longer with our church. But really the only way forward now is just to continue to function as a biblical church, to continue to grow in the Lord ourselves, and to serve the Lord together that we might glorify Him as a local church. Um, perhaps over time, I don't know, perhaps over time we'll even win some of those people back. But that's really the Lord's work, that's really His responsibility. Our job is, is simply to be faithful and obedient and the impact is really up to the Lord, and, and that's what we're aiming to do. Uh, Jody and I plan to be faithful and obedient here. We want to serve the Lord together with you all, and we've kind of recommitted to that as well. Uh, ministry is is hard. You know, I, I knew that going in. The the Even the Christian life is hard. Just serving the Lord in a sinful world. Paul calls it a spiritual battle. He calls it a, a wrestle he speaks of it in terms of warfare. Warfare not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6. And I knew that when I decided to pursue ministry. I knew that, that it was going to be difficult. And we all need to know that, that serving the Lord in the local church the way that he commands is not necessarily going to be an easy thing. It's not going to be an easy thing to follow the Lord in this world. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's, uh, it's the way that we glorify God, even as we saw in our reading in Romans chapter 1. The local church is the place where, where we as believers are called to glorify God in this age. Christ is building his church, and our role is to serve together with him. As Christians, we're disciples of Jesus Christ, and we're to follow him and learn from him. And one of the things that we see from him is that his ministry was difficult as well. You remember, we're in Matthew chapter 13, 14 here. Jesus was rejected. He was resisted. His own family and his hometown opposed him. They even tried to throw him off a cliff which we don't have in the Matthew account, but we see that in Luke. 
And so the, the ministry of our Lord Jesus was difficult. The one sent to prepare the way for him, John the Baptist, was imprisoned and later beheaded. And we saw that last time we were together in Matthew thirteen fifty three to chapter 14 and verse 12. And so we could ask this question, how did our Lord respond in what would have been an incredibly difficult season of ministry for him? What did he do? Remember, he was rejected by the cities and the scribes and the Pharisees. They said that, that he did his mighty works by Beelzebul. That was chapter 11 and 12. And he began that same day to teach the crowd in parables in Matthew 13. And when he finished teaching the parables, he went away back to Nazareth, where he was again rejected by his own hometown and even by his own family. And then sometime shortly after that, the Lord got word that John the Baptist, the forerunner, the the one who was to prepare the way for him, he was executed, beheaded. And so talk about some hard days for the Lord, uh, very much more difficult than anything that we've faced here at Grace Bible Fellowship. But what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do in the midst of these difficult days? And that's what we're going to see in our text. And so if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so what did Jesus do? Well, he first of all withdrew from there. And that's going to be number one in our outlines. And so we're going to just kind of look at this kind of section by section. First of all, number one, verse, the first part of verse 13, we see Jesus's withdrawal. Jesus's withdrawal. Again, verse 13, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And so the question naturally would be here, well, Jesus heard this. Well, well, what did he hear? Well, he heard in verse 10 that he, look at verse 10, Herod, Herod Antipas, not uh, Herod Antipas, sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. And so Jesus heard about the beheading of John in prison. He also heard, if we go all the way back to verse 1, at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, 
And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, that he has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And so it seems likely that Jesus heard that John was dead and that, that he heard that Herod was starting to associate John and Jesus. And so Jesus withdrew. Now we've seen this word withdraw already a number of times in Matthew. You might remember back to chapter two, the Magi departed to their own country. They went another way to avoid a different Herod. They avoided Herod the Great. That was Herod Antipas's father. And so the father of the, the man that killed John the Baptist was the, the Herod that was around when uh, Jesus was born. And the Magi departed. They withdrew. In verse 13 of Matthew 2, Joseph was warned that Herod would try to kill baby Jesus. And then it says in verse 14, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Same word there. They, they withdrew. And so departed is the same word translated withdrew in our text. And then if you're in Matthew 2 still, Matthew 2 verse 22, the same word is used when Joseph returns from Egypt. It says there, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to a district of Galilee. Again, this word is used when Jesus began his ministry, Matthew 4 and verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And then we saw it again in uh, chapter 12, verse 15. Look at, if you, if you just look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. And so we see that this word is almost always used for a withdrawal from danger. And that's likely kind of part of what's happening here. Jesus is going to withdraw away from Galilee. He's going to go to the other side of the sea, which is going to take him out of Herod Antipas's territory. But there's more to it than that, I think. After all, it seems that almost immediately after he feeds these 5,000, he goes right back into Galilee. And, uh, and this time he goes to Gennesaret, which is kind of very close to Capernaum, which was his, his kind of main territory, his, his headquarters. <clears throat> and so he's going to go right back into Herod's territory, northwest of the Sea of Galilee. But the other reason it seems then that Jesus withdraws, not only is there a, maybe a little bit of withdrawing from the danger for a moment, but it seems like he's going to withdraw here to spend some time alone. You know, it's been a difficult time. He wants to spend some time alone with his disciples and with the Father. His disciples do come with him across the sea on the boat. But if you look at just right after our text, look at verse 22 to 24 there. It says, immediately, right after feeding the 5,000, he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Verse 24 says, but the boat by this time was a long way off from the land. And and I think we can just stop there. So after this day, Jesus sent his disciples back across the sea so that he could spend some time alone with his father in prayer. And so Jesus, it seems, wants to spend time by himself 
alone, or, or at least sometime alone with his disciples, and sometime alone by himself in prayer, and so he withdrew. The parallel passage in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And so Jesus was going to a desolate place so that he and his disciples, they could get some rest. They didn't even have leisure to eat. The crowd was just always thronging them, always on them. And so in the midst of this difficulty, Jesus wants to go and and spend some time by himself. But it wasn't to be. The crowds, it says, the crowds followed him. And this is then going to be number two in our in our outline this morning. We're going to see the the compassion of Jesus. Jesus's compassion, second half of verse 13 and verse 14. And so Jesus withdrew from Galilee to the east side of the sea of the, uh, and he goes by boat with, with his disciples to get some rest, maybe even a little bit to get out of danger. And the, the crowds follow him. Look at verse 13. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, Mark tells us that the crowds ran on foot and they even beat Jesus to the other side of the the Sea of Galilee. It would have been a few miles for them to to kind of go up and around the lake. They would have had to cross over the Jordan and get back around. And I think it's helpful for us to think about this. How might you respond if you wanted to get away from the crowd and you go to do that, and you go to get away apart by yourself, but a crowd of 5,000 men, and then there's also the women and children, so probably something like 15,000 to 25,000 men, women, and children, they show up on the other side. They ran around the lake to beat you to the other side. And I think most of us would be somewhat annoyed. You know, I, right? Pete, Pete gets it, right? Kind of somewhat annoyed. If you don't, maybe, maybe some of us don't like crowds so much. I don't think it's very comfortable, but I think we'd be somewhat annoyed. The, I, I just want to get away. It's been a hard day. It's been a hard week. Give me some rest. Give me some time by myself. They could hardly get a minute even to eat, Mark had told us. And now they show up and the crowd's waiting for them on the other side. But Jesus, he wasn't annoyed. Actually, quite, quite the opposite when you see he's, his heart goes out to the crowd. He had compassion on them. He, he felt for them. Mark put it this way. This is Mark 6.34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. The parallel account in Luke Verse 9, 11 says, and he welcomed them and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, especially what Mark says there would likely reminds us of Matthew 9, 36, which says this, when he saw the crowds, this is earlier in Matthew, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion, same word there, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're going to see this compassion from our Lord again in Matthew 15, 
and verse 29, if you look at that section there, it says, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered. When, he saw the, when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And so Jesus had compassion for the crowds and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd and he heals them and he teaches them and he feeds them. And, and this compassion, this word here means to have pity or to feel sympathy. And the opposite of this would be to, to not care, to maybe ignore the, the plight of the people, to not feel your, your heart doesn't go out for them at all. And again, most people would at least be tempted in a, in a moment like this to, to have selfish thoughts, perhaps to even justify why they would just send the crowd away. They would have had reasons why we're just going to, let's just get rid of these people. We just need some time alone. We need to spend some time in prayer or whatever. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus cares. And his love for others moves him to adjust his plans and to adjust his schedule in order to meet their needs. You see, he, he sees the crowd, if we can kind of put it that way. He sees them, and he's moved, and he ministers to them. Now, Matthew focuses on the healing and on the feeding. Mark and Luke tell us that, that he also taught the people. Now, if we're going to be followers of the Lord Jesus, this is one area that we need to imitate, that we need to, to learn from him. We need to learn to notice people, to care about people, to have compassion for others. See, we all need this compassionate kind of attitude. We all need this others focus where we see others and, and we even forget about our own needs and our own desires and reach out to be a blessing to them. You see, Jesus' heart for others moved him to serve. He saw them, he cared, he served, he cared about their physical needs, he cared about their spiritual well-being. And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to emulate this compassion. We need to copy this compassion of our Lord. Now, another maybe comfort for us at, at this point is that we need to remember that, that Jesus is the same now as he was then. And so even now, Jesus, this same Jesus has compassion for us and for the world. Now, his mission and his ministry is no longer revolving around healing in this day. Although I do believe there's, there's times where God answers prayer for healing. <coughs> but that in no way lessens his compassion. Jesus is compassionate even now. And so when we come to the Lord in prayer, we come to a compassionate Savior, one who loves us, one who cares. And even if we've sinned, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness when we come to him. Even today, he will welcome all who come to him for salvation. 
And then having been saved by faith uh, for us that have been saved by him, how much more will he have mercy and grace for us when we come to him as his people? If he's compassionate with the multitudes, how much more compassionate would he be with those who are his people who belong to him? And so we've seen then Jesus' compassion. And now what we kind of come to is a, a contrast between Jesus and his compassion and what the disciples do. And we're, we're going to call this Jesus' service in verses 15 to verse 20. Let's look now at Jesus' service. Now we, as we kind of get into this and we think about the contrast with the disciples, we can't necessarily see what motivates the disciples here. Matthew doesn't tell us exactly what, what's behind all of this. But one thing Matthew does not say He does not say, and I think it's significant here, he does not say that the disciples had compassion for the crowd. Now, they did wait until evening, and I I think we maybe could commend them a little bit for this. They waited until evening, which was any time after 3 p.m., but but their idea is to send the crowds away. Let's get rid of this crowd, Lord. Verse 15, it says, Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, the surrounding villages, they they might not have even had much bread, but again, this is a huge crowd, 5,000 men plus women and children, probably again somewhere between fifteen and 25,000 people. And the disciples, they seem to be thinking of the people, but more likely their, their thoughts are about themselves at this point. Their ministry trip is over. Remember Mark said they had just returned from their, their ministry, from their mission. They were preaching and healing in, in all the surrounding areas around Capernaum, all throughout Galilee. And their trip is over and they, they have this crowd of people now. Jesus said, let's go to the other side and get some rest. And, and they don't recognize this as the opportunity that it is. And so they want to just send the crowds away. But Jesus has another idea. Verse 16, Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And so Jesus says, there's no need to take this action. There's no need for them to go away. There's no need to break up the crowd. And then Jesus puts it on the disciples. He commands them to give something to the crowds to eat. And he's teaching them to serve and he's teaching his disciples then to have compassion in the same way that he does. And there's some emphasis in the Greek on the word you. It's you give them something to eat. You take it on. You yourselves do this thing. Don't send them away. You give them some food. Now, it's interesting at this point to kind of trace this through the other Gospels and to to look at it in the other books here. So let's go over to John chapter 6. Starting at verse 1, John 6 verse 1. says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain 
And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And so first Jesus introduced the idea of feeding the crowd by asking Philip again in verse 5, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip says it would cost 200 denarii. That's about 200 days wages for the average worker or, or about two-thirds of what the average worker would make in a year. But Jesus was only testing Philip and preparing him for what he was about to do. Now, Andrew knows a boy with five barley loaves. Those are the bread of the poor, the barley loaf, and probably about the size of, of one of our buns. And so well, the idea is, what are five buns? What's five buns going to do among 5,000? If we went over to to Luke and looked at chapter 9 and verse 13, the parallel passage there. But he said to them, Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Then they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. And so they have no food, nothing besides these five loaves and two fish. And again, in Mark, we read, this is Mark 6, 37 and 38, but he answered them, you give them something something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And so we get a picture from all of this that Jesus introduces the idea of food and the idea of feeding the crowd maybe earlier in the day. And the disciples realize that they, that they have nothing. Maybe, maybe one of the kids of, of one of the disciples has a, a few loaves of bread and two fish. And they start calculating the size of the crowd and the the cost of sufficient bread. That's going to be 200 denarii for everyone just to get even a little bit. Later in the day, about evening time, perhaps getting closer to the the time of the evening meal, they bring forward really their, their best idea that they've come up with throughout the day is send the people away. This is a desolate place. There's no natural food around. And we don't even know for sure, but maybe the disciples, they don't even have 200 denarii to go and buy food, not, not to mention the, the work that it would be to go and get that food and bring it back to the crowd. But Jesus now tells them, no, you give them to eat. And they, they go and check, and, and again, all they can come up with is five barley loaves and two fish, likely here dried fish or some kind of smoked fish, some kind of preserved fish. One commentator said it would be just kind of like something that they would spread on bread to um, to kind of give it some flavor, like some jam or something. I'm not sure what kind of fish this was, but we don't have any more information than that. But but they have they have no idea here what Jesus is going to do. 
So let's go back to Matthew now. Matthew 14, look at verse 16. Matthew 14, 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And so Jesus said, a blessing, which is the standard way to describe the giving of thanks. And this same word is used later on in Matthew in the Lord's Supper, which we read every Sunday here at Grace Bible Fellowship. We look at the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating. Again, this is Passover time as well. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now here in Matthew 26, 26, it's, it's literally here the same as what we have in our text. After blessing, he broke and gave to the disciples. And there's no it in the text there. It's just he, he said a blessing. And so most likely Jesus said a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving rather than somehow blessing the bread. But he, he said a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread, which they call a, a blessing. And the standard prayer, at least according to Jewish tradition, we don't know if Jesus said this, but it was, it was along these lines. It was, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. And so Jesus likely said some kind of a prayer along those lines. In 1 Corinthians 11.24, again in the Lord's Supper, Paul refers to the blessing of the Lord's Supper this way. It says, again, 1 Corinthians 11.24, when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus gives a, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of blessing on the food. And then he breaks it and passes it to the disciples. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. He gave thanks for the food. And then he broke the barley loaves and he handed them to the disciples. And we're going to look at the miracle in a moment under the fourth heading. But right now, we should just note that Jesus involves his disciples in this ministry to the crowd. And again, he's teaching them to be compassionate. He's teaching them to serve others, even in difficult times. And so they brought the meager supplies that they had, and they they brought it to Jesus, and Jesus multiplied what they have. And then they gave what Jesus multiplied. They gave it to the crowd in verse 20. It says, and they all ate... And were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Now, Matthew's account is the shortest of all the accounts. Matthew always really compresses the miracle stories into kind of the the fewest amount of words. But Matthew is the only one that includes this little detail at the end of verse 19 that he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And so this idea that the disciples are involved in this whole thing, I think Matthew wants us to see that the disciples were involved in serving the crowds. And that really fits with Matthew's emphasis on discipleship. 
And I think there's a principle here. I, I think we have to be careful about spiritualizing this text. It's tempting to kind of want to make it into all kinds of lessons that it's not. But I think there is something legitimate here, a principle that, that we can draw from this, that Jesus commanded his disciples to give the crowd food. And they didn't have enough. You know, they, they literally couldn't do this on their own. And so they brought what Jesus, they brought what they had to Jesus. And they brought it for his blessing. And, and having consecrated their all to him, they, they, they gave him everything here and, and he blessed it and he multiplied it. And I think we'll often find it so. I think we can kind of draw a principle from this that, that when we seek to obey the Lord in our weakness, we're, we're not sufficient in ourselves. You know, Jesus tells us in, in John 15 that apart from him, we can do nothing. But when we give him our all, he blesses it and he uses it for his glory and he uses us to serve him as his disciples. And so he accomplishes his purposes through us when we kind of give him our all. When we seek to obey him for his glory and we go forward in dependence on the Lord, he blesses our service. And so this is Jesus' service. And I think that's a legitimate application of this text. But Matthew has even more for us. He wants us to see more this is a miracle that our Lord does here. And it's designed like all the miracles in this gospel to show us who Jesus is. And so this is number four in our outline. This is Jesus's miracle in verse 21. Jesus's miracle. Matthew closes his account in verse 21 with the number of men who were fed. Again, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And when you add the women and children, if you just even think about our congregation here, that would be quite a bit more. But even without them, we've got five loaves feed 5,000 men. And so what that is, is a thousand times as much. A thousand times as much if each man only ate one loaf. And then after that, each disciple picked up a basket full of broken pieces, one for each of the 12 disciples, one basket full of leftover pieces of fish and bread. Now, this miracle is very significant. It's the only miracle besides the resurrection that all four Gospels include. And so it's quite significant. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they chose this event of everything that Jesus did, of every miracle that he did. They wanted us to know about this one. And so there's something significant about that. And really the question is, why? Why of, of, of everything that Jesus did, why is this event the one that all of them would include besides the resurrection? And I think it must tie somehow into what the Jews were expecting. Think about it this way. What, what was the Messiah going to do? Well, one way to think about that is that he would be a prophet like Moses. Deuteronomy 18.15, we've looked at that many times. Deuteronomy 18.15 and following. And, and, and so the, the, the Messiah was going to be a prophet like Moses. And what did Moses do? Well, one of the things that Moses did that was very significant to Israel was that he fed the people in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven. Exodus 16 talks about the manna that the Lord, that Yahweh provided day by day in the wilderness. 
Numbers 11 also describes the situation. In Numbers 11, and actually let's go ahead and, and turn back to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11, verse 4. The, the people are now, at this point, they're, they're sick of the manna. They're, they're complaining. They want some meat. Verse 4 says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. In verse 13, Moses asked the Lord, where am I going to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. In verse 18, the Lord said to Moses, look at verse 18 there, and, and say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. And becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? Verse 21, but Moses said, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And similarly in Exodus 16, when the Lord first gave the manna, this is Exodus 16, 12. The Lord says, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And so feeding Israel in the wilderness showed Israel that Yahweh was God, and it also showed his mighty power. It showed that his hand was not shortened and that he could provide for his people. And so surely the thought would be that a prophet like Moses would do similar miracles to provide for Israel. We see the same thing also with Elijah and Elisha, who are kind of like the prototypical prophets. They're the, the, the beginning prophets. They're the ones who kind of set the precedent for what prophets are going to do. And they also miraculously fed people during times of famine. And so Elijah said to King Ahab, this is, and in fact, why don't we just go ahead and turn there. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> Start reading in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, and of course Ahab is the king at the time, he said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. 
And so without the, the rain, of course, there's going to be a famine. And for the first while, Elijah was fed by ravens. If you look down at verse 5, so he did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and meat uh, uh, and, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And then verse 7, after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And then the Lord sends him to Zarephath in Sidon. <clears throat> Look at verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Verse 12, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in. And prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The flour jar, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Elisha also provided for a widow by a miracle of multiplied oil, and we see that in Second Kings chapter 4 verses 1 to 7. Another time he fed a hundred men with 20 barley loaves. And this is Second Kings chapter 4. Look at verse 42. Second Kings 4.42, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, same as our text, and fresh ears of grain in, the, in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give to them, give to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. And so he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Again, very similar to our passage, except Elisha multiplied the bread five times to feed one hundred men. But Jesus multiplies the bread that he had 1,000 times to feed 5,000 men plus an unnumbered amount of women and children with him. And so if Moses, the prototypical prophet, uh, or Moses and the prototypical prophets, uh, Elijah and Elisha, if they all multiplied food, either in the wilderness or in famine, I think there's an expectation, and Israel apparently had such an expectation that the prophet who was to come, the Messiah, would do something similar. And of course, there was the expectation that the kingdom, the age of the kingdom, would be a massive feast. We've, we've talked about this before with the theologians call it the eschatological banquet. And we saw that already in, if you go back to Matthew, if you go and look at Matthew 8 and verse 11, Jesus says there, I tell you, many will come from east and west 
and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And that recline at table there, that's, that's literally the idea that they're gonna, they're gonna sit down for a meal. They're gonna sit down to eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And so the Christ is gonna be one who, if he's gonna bring the kingdom, he's gonna have to be one who's able to provide for Israel. And he's gonna be one who provides, if we think about it this way, even in greater ways than Solomon provided. And of course, you remember that whole chapter uh, in First Chronicles, whole chapter in the book of Kings that describes um, the, the lavish feasts that Solomon kind of had for his people and those who sat at his table. And Jesus is going to have to do this in even greater ways. And, and so what he does here is almost a foreshadowing of what he's going to do in the kingdom. Go to uh, Luke 14 here with me as we kind of think about this some more. Turn over to Luke chapter 14 and look at verse, starting at verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Verse 15, and when one of those who reclined at table with him, so they're, they're eating at this moment at a banquet, and he tells them, don't, you know, don't invite these, these people who can pay you back, but there's going to be a, a repayment at the resurrection of the just. One of these ones who is at the table with him eating says to, when she, when he heard these things, or when she heard these things, he, it's, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so this whole event then I think shows us, it's designed by Matthew to show us that Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Elisha. He's greater than Solomon. And so once again, he is the son of God. He is God the son in human flesh. And Jesus's miracles in, in this passage, this miracle shows that he is who he claimed to be. And I wish we could kind of be there and, and see this. I have so many questions about how did this happen? I want to, I want to see the broken pieces of bread. I want to, did they, they, did, did he break them and then there's whole loaves in each hand as he gives them to the disciples or did it multiply while he kind of walks in the way as they kind of carry these baskets? Did they get bigger or how did this work? What is, I kind of always like, grossed out about these broken pieces that are left over like was everyone touching those you know but the Matthew doesn't kind of give us the answer to all that he just wants us to kind of see that that Jesus did a miracle you know I, I wonder how it tasted MacArthur kind of talks about how it must have been the best bread that you've ever had I don't know we, we Matthew doesn't talk about that But what we do know is that they all ate and were satisfied. The idea is, is that they had as much as they wanted. They were all full. And Matthew wants us to take this story and, and believe who Jesus is. Again, it shows us his power. It shows us his compassion. It points forward to the kingdom reign. And so a question for us to think about is, do you know this Jesus who can multiply bread? 
Do you know this Jesus who can provide for all of your needs, who has the power to provide for his people in famine or in the wilderness? Do you know him as the, the compassionate one, as your savior? Do you, do you know him as a savior who will use you in your service to him despite your weakness? And so if you're here today and you, you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you haven't come to him in, in saving faith, then I would urge you today to turn from your sins and come and, and come to this Jesus. He will welcome you. He is compassionate. He cares for your needs. And he will forgive all your sins if you come and, and, and give yourself to him and, and choose to follow him and live your life for him. I began by asking us to, to notice how Jesus responded. And, and we see his great compassion, he, his love for the crowds. In the midst of a difficult time when he wanted to get away, he, he served the crowds and he taught his disciples also to serve the crowds. And, and we also need to be like that. We need to, to be compassionate like our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to love others and, and, and forget about ourselves in order to serve others. And so if you're a disciple of his, this is a great example for, for all of us on, on how to respond to other people. And if you do know him, I, I want to remind you that, that you serve one who can multiply what you bring to him and one who promises to be with you even to the end of the age, to use you for his glory. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are our wonderful, merciful Savior. We thank you for your compassion, the, the compassion of Christ, the love of Christ that he would lay down his life for us. We thank you for the, the proof that, that he is powerful, that he can multiply bread, that he, that he can bring about the kingdom conditions. Father, we look forward to that day when we'll eat bread with the Lord, when we'll recline at table in the kingdom of God. How blessed is everyone who's going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. And we look forward to that day, Father. We pray you'd help us in the areas we fall short. Help us to have compassion. Help us to love others. Help us to deny ourselves in serving you, Father, and serving our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for his sake. Amen.